Georgia Sports Podcast. I'm John James, sports editor for Red and Black, your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to Red and Black sports reporters to get the pulse of UGA athletics straight from the source. This week, I'll be joined by Red and Black assistant sports editor Owen Warden and football beat writer Samuel Hayes. Up first, we'll talk to Owen to review Georgia's 43-20 win over Florida on Saturday. Welcome back to the show, Owen. John, it's great to be back here, and it's great to be back in Athens. So, to keep the main thing the main thing, the big story coming out of for- the Florida game was Lad McConkey's career day, six catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown. How was he able to produce so well, so much better than, honestly, we expected him to in this game? Well, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that he just kind of did what Lad has done in previous seasons which is weird to say when this is his second over 100 receiving yard game just in his Georgia career, but it's kind of one of those things that, you know, we've seen Ladd take over games before, and we've seen him make big-time plays and stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing that really stands out of what McConkie's performance was like was his yards after catch. I mean, his his yak ability was easily what stood out about this offense and it's it's one of those things that honestly I gotta give a little bit of Mike Bobo credit for because he spaced out that Florida defense he allowed opportunities for Ladd McConkey and even Dominic Lovett to have these big time 50 yard gains after you know catching the football and it allowed you know Carson Beck to get comfortable and look better it allowed big time plays to happen for this defense uh for this offense I mean the clear out routes that that Bobo was playing gave McConkey tons of space to build up these numbers and you know, I also think I got to give credit to the Georgia coaching staff for taking their time with this back injury, for for letting McConkey continue to slowly recover and even get a little bit of playing time in a light sense. So that way, once he was fully back after a nice, successful and, and resting up bye week, he was able to hit the ground running and, and replace of Brock Bowers, who, again, a lot of people thought they were going to sorely miss. But between his efforts and a lot of the other efforts for this offense, it was kind of mitigated. Yeah, uh, the thing that's always stuck out to me about Lad's game is that he is just so dynamic after the catch, and you saw that multiple times on Saturday. I mean, like even going back to just last season, there was a uh, 64-yard catch and run against Mississippi State that was one of the like best plays of the year, just because, just because he looked untouchable, and he was untouchable again on Saturday. But major thing that stuck out to me about Lad and the Georgia offense was that yak. Dominic Lovett was getting a lot of yards after catch, like you said. Carson Beck had over 300 yards, and honestly, probably 150 of those were after the catch, just because Florida was so unable to even lay a hand on Georgia's receivers in this game. But speaking of Carson Beck and his return to Jacksonville, how did he look in his homecoming game? He looked comfortable. He looked composed. You know, I mean, Vanderbilt game, we had he had a terrible interception, and it was one of those things that's like, let's hope it's not the start of something. But Coming off this bye week and being in his hometown, he just looked comfortable. He was running a smooth offense. You know, the offensive line was giving him plenty of time and plenty of protection. And, you know, Georgia had all day to make throws. They had plenty of time to do what they needed to do, and he just looked comfortable. And you know what? I also got to say, for a guy that I think has been pretty serious and stuff like that, and, you know, you can check out more of the photos and get the real look, of course, uh, on the Red and Black website and the, fo- the great photo galleries that Landon shot for us uh, at that game, but you saw him smile. Like, he looked happy to be there. He looked just ecstatic to, to be there and to hop in the crowd and experience the Georgia fans. And, you know, he grew up a Florida fan. He grew up in the Jacksonville area rooting for the Gators. And, you know, he was on the other side of that game, but he had a great time. It just looked like he was making throws. The offense was 
relying and continuing to go around his strengths, which again, he's great at finding the open guy, placing it just where it needs to be, and Bobo combining just spacing out that that offense and spacing out the Florida defense as a result, it allowed Beck to get comfortable, make plenty of throws, and have a great day. Yeah, and I think one reason Beck was able to become so comfortable in this game was because the defense was really helping him out. Like, Florida punched Georgia in the mouth right off the bat, and it was like, oh no, Georgia's losing in the first quarter again. But from that first drive onward, Georgia's defense continually turned Florida over, got Carson the ball in favorable situations, allowed him to kind of work under his own terms and his own circumstances. And I think that's that, was a, that played a major factor in just how comfortable he looked, like you said. Um, but speaking more about the offense here, this was their first game without Brock Bowers. Did you think that affected their offensive approach at all going into this one? I mean, obviously they weren't looking at the tight end position as much. Now, Oscar Delp still had two catches, 31 yards, and that's nothing to, to slouch at. You know, that's that's pretty solid day for a tight end. But, I mean, when you got a guy like Brock Bowers, you're feeding the tight end nearly as much as you can, and that was the offensive philosophy kind of this whole season. But instead, you know, they started feeding the receivers. Almost had two 100-plus yard receivers, and again, Ladd McConkey and, and Dominic Lovett. Uh, Lovett just about 20, uh, a little less than 20 yards short of that. But both those guys had plenty of targets. They were getting plenty of catches, six and four respectively. And, you know, I mean, when the offense, when you're, Leading receivers run after catch numbers, 78 for Ladd, is higher than Eugene Wilson, the Florida re- leading receivers, just total receiving yards in a football game. You're not going to complain too much about how your offense is doing. And, and I mean, it was great. Even other guys like Dylan Bell got a touchdown. You know, the, the hybrid running back wide receiver got involved, and especially in the passing game, because, you know, Dylan Bell, the running back room really needed him. Now with Brock Bowers, the wide receiver room needs him again, and here he is making plays, making an impact for the Georgia offense. Marcus Rosemead Jackson was quiet but still a reliable target. Um, and then, of course, Ra-Ra Thomas, C.J. Smith got a 15-yard catch. Um, even Dejon Edwards, a little bit of catch. And speaking of running backs, Dejon Edwards nearly 100 yards himself. Um, we kind of knew, especially after that Vanderbilt game when, when Bowers did leave, you know, Dejon took over. And this game... Ran for 95 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, even Kendall Milton, uh, 55 yards and a touchdown. So the offense as a whole really came together. It was just balanced, well-rounded, but it still had its key contributors. And that's what a good offense does. Yeah. Uh, to me, this game, or the Georgia formula in the passing offense this season has just been get the ball to your playmakers in space. And for most of the season, that's just been the, the Brock Bowers show. This game, the playmakers in space were Dominic Lovett, it was Ladd McConkey, and Dejan led the charge on, in the running game, which is kind of how you freed up some of those playmakers in space at times. I wasn't expecting them to lean so heavily on Ladd and Dominic, honestly. The next highest receiver was like Oscar Delp with two catches for 31 yards. So I thought it was a little bit interesting. They, they were so thoroughly focused on getting Ladd and Dominic those touches. I wonder how that'll develop going forward, but I don't think this offense missed much of a beat without Brock. Yeah, and I think I, the one thing I think that's interesting is the fact that, you know, when you look at the target shares, Dominic Lovin only had one more than Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, and Ra Ra Thomas, and Ladd had seven. He clearly led the way, but that's only three more than those other guys. Like that rack is clearly what helped build up their numbers as much as it was. But when you do kind of dig into it, clearly the plan was to space it out, to spread it around, and. 
you know, Ladd was the hot hand, and they fed that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's what this offense, you know, had been doing with, with Brock Bowers, and they've got a healthy Ladd back. Why not? He's, he's one of the better receivers in the SEC. So why not feed a guy like that? So, you know, the target shares definitely paint an interesting story, but even the catches. Ladd led the way with six. Then you had Dominic Lovett with four. Pretty much everybody else had two with a few ones from, like, Ra Ra and, and C.J. Smith. But it still felt like, at least to me, that they were still spreading it around. Just Ladd was the hot hand in that game. So we talked a lot about offense so far. I don't want to get away from this game without touching on the defense a little bit. Georgia ha- gave up two scoring drives in the fourth quarter. But before that, they had four sacks, eight tackles for loss, and did the, just the first three quarters. How were the Bulldogs, why were the Bulldogs able just to wreak so much havoc in the Florida backfield. And I think how and why is the perfect way to phrase that because they did that with sheer dominance. They got punched in the mouth. I don't think there's any debate about that. That first drive was not a great look for Georgia's defense as it had kind of been this whole year. But again, Georgia just continued to show resiliency by not laying down. You know, a couple three and outs and then a massive stop by Smilemudden Jr. where the entire defensive line collapses. The entire Florida offensive line including Graham Mertz, who was serving as a blocker in that whole situation of that direct running back snap that did not work well. And if, if Smilemunden gets doesn't get through there, then, yeah, Trevor Etienne has a lane to, to get a first. But he breaks through. He gets a massive tackle for a loss. Then the rest of the Georgia defense just converges and, and attacks that ball. It was a terrific sight. And then you go the literal next drive, and Tyron Ingram Dawkins, who we kind of, rode off a little bit due to like all the injuries he was dealing with and all the lower body stuff he was dealing with comes out of nowhere in this Florida game has a strip sack recovered by Marvin Jones Jr. and that sets up the Georgia offense with an even better scenario and in in that itself was incredible for them like you can't really find as much offensive or defensive momentum without those two plays and then that even continues and I know this is defense specifically but you know Janelle Aguero freshman safety blocks a punt for a safety the first time this year that either of those things have happened Um, block punt for a safety or just a block punt in general so I think in general this defense was overpowering and sure fourth quarter you know they, they shut down a little bit allow a couple big plays and then the second unit comes on and allows a touchdown, which has kind of happened a lot this year. But overall, from the second Florida offensive drive to through the third quarter, they were fantastic. And they showed that Georgia dominance that we've kind of seen for a long time on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, uh, you mentioned momentum, you mentioned energy, and I think you can really point that momentum shift, that swing and energy to that fourth and one failure where Smile Munden just blew the play up. It was a weird decision by Billy Napier. He, I think he knew, thought he needed the points, but your your offense moved fine on the first drive, and you gave Georgia the ball with all the momentum on their side in scoring position. And Florida just really never looked the same after that one play, and it just completely swung the game. From that point on, Georgia felt like they were the front runners. They felt like they had all of the energy on their side. The crowd was behind them, and Florida just was totally unable to stand up. Yeah, that's perfectly sad because I think that Florida's fans pulled back. They lost the momentum. They didn't have anything. They felt like they were in that game when they took a 7-0 lead, and then they even still had it after they forced a, a field goal on Georgia's long drive. They get down into the red zone on, what, the four-yard line? They're forced to kick a field goal? You know, Florida's fans are, are absolutely 
as high as they can be, and suddenly they're as low as they can be by just doing that. And it really goes back to that that philosophy of, you know, you don't want to give a team momentum. We've seen plenty of times this year alone, I, I believe you look back at the Auburn game, and Kirby's punting on like the 50-yard line at a fourth and one just to prevent Auburn from trying to get any momentum. Now, they did, but you see what happens when a team like Auburn, even if they're not that great, finds momentum. They, they rode and they had a great offensive performance. Same thing happened with Georgia. Billy Napier made a bad call. You know, he, he thought he could get an advantage being on the 35-yard line, and instead, he didn't get it. And it completely crushed this Florida offense, and things started mounting from there. And that's what a good defense does, and that's what a good offense does of taking advantage of those opportunities in that short field. But a good defense gives the offense that opportunity. The defense builds on upon the, the mistakes that another team is making, and you know, Georgia's defense has been doing that for years, and we weren't sure exactly how they were going to be this year or even this game. But, man, they rode they rode up high, and they played fantastic. They played fantastic in route to Georgia's 43-20 to victory over Florida. But, Owen, what is your biggest takeaway from this rivalry matchup in Jacksonville on Saturday? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to take away is that Georgia is a team that I think is willing and worthy of making a playoff run, of, of getting to that SEC championship, of, of getting to that point. Because even without your best players, they're still finding a way to win and finding ways to get Ladd McConkey involved. And really, the offense is humming. The offense has really found something that can, they can build upon. And Mike Bobo finally feels like almost comfortable, almost confident in his offense for the first time all year. And it's the type of stuff that we saw in Kentucky and then the Vanderbilt game kind of killed the momentum, and then the bye week refreshed it, it seems like. Defense, same thing. They're comfortable, they're confident, they know what they can do. And Georgia doesn't have the ability to take a week off. They don't have a Vanderbilt or a UAB or anything like that to kill their momentum in a sense. And you look at baseball. You look at why everyone's complaining about the bye weeks and stuff that happened in baseball because you lose that momentum that people carry through the postseason. And Georgia now has that, I think. They have the momentum, and it's going to be important for them to carry it through this home stretch against Missouri and Ole Miss, to carry it through Knoxville, and to even carry it through Georgia Tech, who just beat UNC. Georgia's clearly a team that can play at a very high level. We've known this, and they're, it seems like they're only getting better and more confident. But I think a key that we'll be looking forward to the next few games is if they can keep that up. Absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show, Owen. Of course. Now, we'll be joined by football beat writer Samuel Hicks as we look ahead to George's matchup against Missouri on Saturday. Welcome back to the show, Sam. It's always a pleasure to be here. So, just adding some context, Missouri ranked 14th in the nation. It's George's second-ranked opponent of the season. Missouri 7-1. and one. How have they been winning these games? They have been playing some pretty fantastic offense, if I do say so. Right now, they're averaging 294 passing yards a game, which is 17th in the nation. They have 17 passing touchdowns. Then you also look at what they're able to do on the ground. They're averaging 149 yards a game and rushing for six, 16 touchdowns. They are one of the top scoring offenses in the nation right now. They're currently 28th at 33 point nine a game and they're also holding their opponents to only 23.3 these games that they are winning besides some of like the early ones against kansas state where it was a one possession game they're beating their opponents by two or more possessions and 
it's kind of showing some pretty dominant offensive play by Mizzou. Yeah, so um, on the topic of that offense, they've got the second most productive running back in the SEC. they got the third most productive quarterback. They've got Luther Burden, one of the best wide receivers in the nation. Why aren't more people talking about this Tigers team, considering them actual SEC threats? That's something that I'm struggling with as well, because I look at Missouri and I look at what they're doing offensively and who they're playing. They have two ranked wins right now over Kansas State, who was ranked at the time. I don't believe they're ranked at the moment. And then they have a ranked win over Kentucky. Kansas State is currently 25. Currently 25. Okay, so they have two ranked wins, and yet nobody is really talking about how dominant they're playing right now. They even played well against LSU. LSU's ranked, I think, one spot above them right now. They they played LSU really well that entire game. And then, like you mentioned it, they have a guy like Luther Burden there. They have the pieces. They have the production, yet nobody's really talking about them as far as the one-loss teams go. And I was just wondering if it's just people aren't taking Missouri seriously because of the record that they had last year. Last year they were 6-7, and seven, and they've already exceeded their wins from last year right now at 7-1. and one. Most of their losses last season were by one possession, but now they're one-possession games. They're, they're winning. I just don't understand why people aren't talking about Missouri, especially with how much they got going on on their team. I think it's kind of a twofold effect. Firstly, Missouri's kind of been an afterthought in the SEC for the past decade. They made two SEC championships early after joining the conference and after Gary Pinkle retired in 2015 or whatever. They've basically just been trying to make a bowl game every year. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the SEC East is Georgia's. It's Georgia's. It's Georgia's half of the conference right now. And to be the man, you have to beat the man. We have to see Missouri put up a a game changing performance against Georgia. They like their best matchup so far was LSU, and they lost that one. Kansas State they won, but they were in it was in the early stretch of Kansas State season before they really got going. They beat Kentucky, but Georgia flattened Kentucky, so that's yeah. that's a complicated scenario. There's a lot of factors going into why Missouri has hasn't been talked about enough. But if they can play well against Georgia, I think a lot of people will be talking about them a lot more. I but completely agree. On the topic of that Missouri productive offense that we've been discussing, how has Georgia's defense fared against some of the high-powered offenses they've seen so far? So I went through some of the games that they played against some like higher offense opponents. I don't think that they've played anybody that's ranked within the top 10 other in any category besides South Carolina in passing yards at the time. But you look at that game against South Carolina. South, they held South Carolina to 309 total yards. They turned the ball over twice, and they only scored two touchdowns. Against Kentucky, who I think is like the inverse of South Carolina, where they were one of the better rushing teams, they held them to 183 total yards and two touchdowns. And then against Florida, who I think does pretty well on both through the air and on the ground, they held them to 339 total yards, one turnover, and three touchdowns. I think Georgia's defense can play very well against Missouri but then I look back at that Kentucky game Devin Leary missed on some open shots downfield that could have made that game a lot worse than what the final score ended up to be and who knows Brady Cook is a guy that I see hitting on some of those throws that Devin Leary missed Um, but Missouri can get things done on both through uh, both on the ground and through the air so I think Georgia's got a good matchup, but I think Missouri could also find a way around it. Yeah, I'm not remotely worried about Georgia in the run game. They've been so dominant 
for years on that. That's basically a staple of Kirby Smart's defense. But this is the best passing offense that Georgia will have faced this season. Spencer Rattler is an, he's a good quarterback, but he never plays well against Georgia. That's just a thing. Uh, and even like South Carolina put up 14 points in the first half of that game, and they made it look pretty easy. So I, I do have some concerns about what Luther Burden and Brady Cook are going to be able to do because I think that's going to be the biggest test of the season so far for Georgia. And I'm actually really, really excited to see how that plays out. But on the other side of the ball, Missouri, like we, we talked about how they're super good on offense. They got the running game. They got the passing game. Missouri's just middle of the pack on defense. They're completely average in run defense, completely average in pass defense. What kind of approach are you expecting to see from Georgia in this one? So I, you do say they're in the middle of the pack of the defense, but they are on like the higher end, slightly higher end, you know, just being in the middle of the pack, slightly higher on defending the run. But still, even with that, I can't really say where Georgia should start performance on offense because I could see them getting it done both on the ground and through the air. Personally, I'm a guy who likes passing the ball. I say keep the ball in Carson's hands. I think Carson has been playing really good over the the stretch of these past couple of games. I think Vandy's the only one that he really dipped, but I wouldn't even say his performance against Vanderbilt was that bad. And then we saw it against Florida that even without their premier pass catcher in Brock Bowers, they were still able to get things done with the pass catchers that they have. And especially Ladd playing just phenomenally last week and Dominic Lovett also being on the offense. I say, you know, try to get it done through the air. That's just kind of what I would do. Yeah, um, I think the way Georgia approaches this game on offense is going to tell us a lot about how they view Missouri. Because mm-hmm. they they prepared for Kentucky. They came out wanting to make a statement against Kentucky and they came out firing with Carson Beck. And I feel like if they try to if they try to slow the game down, establish the run, that's more of their traditional approach for teams that they're not super concerned about. But if they're trying to throw the ball, if they're trying to downfield shots, I think they're it's going to that's going to tell us a lot about whether or not they're concerned about this Missouri team. I obviously I don't know, but I'm this is another thing that I'm just really interested about. This might be the game that I'm looking forward to most this season just because there's so many so many variables that we're not sure about up to this point. I completely agree. And then especially like if Georgia wants to come out passing the ball, Missouri has some pretty solid defenders. I would keep an eye out for Darius Robinson and Johnny Walker, who are both leading the team or both top two in this uh, team with sacks. Uh, Robinson has four and a half and Johnny Walker has four. And then I would also look out for Chris Abrams drain who has four interceptions. So if they decide to come out throwing the ball and slinging it everywhere, like they did against Kentucky, those are some dudes that I would possibly kind of try to avoid or game plan around just to make sure that you have the most success on the offensive side of the ball. All right, Sam, we've talked about offense. We talked about defense. Now I want you to give me a game pick. I want you to give me an offensive MVP. I want you to give me a defensive MVP. I'm expecting a shootout, or at least part of me wants a shootout just because I feel like those are the most fun games to watch. And I've also noticed anytime I have Georgia play in a close game, they usually blow it out the water. So I have it a little bit closer at 38-31 UGA. If I had to pick an offensive MVP, it's not a revenge game. It's more of like a homecoming game, but I'm going Dominic Lovett, the former Missouri Tiger. I think something about him, I, th- I think he's going to take this game a lot more. Not it, He probably takes every game seriously, but I, just, a, just a slight little itch that I think Dominic Lovett's going to play phenomenal. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think Georgia, is, it's, it's a probably a 35-31 kind of game. I'm thinking it's high scoring, honestly. 
I think Georgia has a fourth quarter. It's it's, it's game winning drive. I think Carson Beck oh. puts together a game winning drive. I think he puts his stamp on this season, and I think he's the the offensive MVP. But hit me with the other side of the ball too, Sam. I think especially with how I expect this game to go with Missouri passing the ball pretty well, all eyes are going to be on the secondary, and I have Kamari Lassiter coming out as the defensive MVP. I, I think he's most likely going to be getting the matchup against Luther Burden, and if he can find a way to keep him in check, I think most of Missouri's production through the air is limited. So I'm looking at Kamari Lassiter as the defensive MVP. I was also thinking secondary. I'm, I went with Javon Bullard because mm. I think they're going to – there's been a couple of mis- miscommunications on that back end this year. I think they're really going to need to communicate well. I think they're going to need to know what everybody's assignment is. They're going to need to lock down the middle of the field, and I think Javon is going to be really key to that. But while we're waiting for this very highly anticipated game, thank you very much for coming on the show, Sam. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm John James. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts at redandblack.com. For even more Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblack.com slash sports. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.